this Sunday kind of gives you a little bit of a flavor, not the whole flavor of Living Stones because we're a lot of things, but if you look on the back wall there, you have our logo and we have four pillars as you can see. And one of the pillars that we embrace here as a church family is we believe that a Holy Spirit-filled church that loves Jesus and loves the Word should have a powerful impact on the community and on our state and on the nation and on the nations of the world. Can I get an amen on that? So um, wherever we're planted, we're going to love our nation, pray for our nation, and celebrate the good things in our nation while we continue to move forward to even a more complete union, a more God-honoring and edifying country. But I want to read something for you. I like to use this Sunday around the 4th for our Freedom Sunday. We've been doing this for about 15 to 20 years. And uh, this is a quote that from John Adams. It's from a, a letter that John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail. And, uh, and this is what he had to say about this day. This was written, by the way, on July the 2nd, 1776, before July the 4th. So this is what he was writing in anticipation of what was about to happen. And he was actually looking prophetically, I believe, down through the ages of what he saw July 4th, our Independence Day, to be like. And this is what he wrote. He said, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. So he anticipated this would be a big party every year, and we have certainly lived up to those expectations. But listen to what he said. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God. How many of you know one of the ideas that was being bantered around for our, our symbol, our seal, was a picture of Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. The reason for that imagery is because many at the foundation of this nation believed that even as God delivered Israel from Egypt, God was delivering the United States against the most powerful nation on earth at that time, right? And that our deliverance was nothing short of supernatural because there's no way anybody could explain how the United States of America is in existence. Our founders saw it as an act of deliverance, mighty deliverance, the hand of God. You know, they often talk about providence with a capital P. That's referring to God Almighty, the sovereign creator of the universe, the God who rules over the affairs of nations. So he said this day ought to be commemorated as a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. So can I suggest to you how fitting this is that we've gathered together to recognize the source of our liberty and the source of our freedoms. And how many of you know I can't think of a better day to give God praise and thanks for the blessings that we enjoy as Americans than what we're doing right now on this first day of the week. And so praise the Lord. But listen to what else it said. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations. That's an old word for fireworks right there, right? Illuminations. From one end of the continent to the other, from this time forward, and he says, forevermore. I mean, you know, that's a pretty good declaration right there. I think he was writing with great prophetic vision. And so what we're doing here today is a good thing, it is a godly thing, and I believe, as our founders believe, that Christian citizens are the best citizens because we understand our role before God and we also understand our responsibility to love our nation. So we're glad you're here today and glad that you could come join with us. We'd love for you, I know, again, because we have a lot of guests, uh, we'd love for you to take the time to fill out that connection card in your, in your bulletin and turn that in. We're going to worship the Lord with our giving in just a moment, um, but if you could take some time to do that. I also want to pause to say hello to everybody watching 
watching online. I've had so many folks say, ah, pastor, we really wish we could be there today. You're traveling, you're with friends, family. Again, that's what holidays are for. So we welcome you guys and bless you guys. We also say hello to our friends and nations overseas. How many of you know the United States has been a source of evangelism and the spreading of the gospel all over the world? At Living Stones, that's our fourth pillar, is on reach nations. And how many of you know uh, the freedom and blessing on us today determines our ability to be free to traverse the world and to do what God's called us to do. And so today is a really, really important day, and we want to connect a lot of those dots for you. I don't want to take a lot of time. We, uh, you saw in the bulletin and on the announcements before the service about some of the great things we've got coming up with John Tetzola and Rod Aguilar and Mary Aguilar coming this coming week. It's going to be an incredible opportunity. And let me just say this, if you're new to Living Stones, please carve out some time. You might not be able to take the whole morning on Saturday, but come for an hour or two. Get the flavor of, of John Tetzel. He's an amazing man of God. Uh, and then Rod Aguilar will be ministering here Sunday morning and then marriage class that, that afternoon. It's going to be really awesome. But let me take a moment to, to highlight uh, my podcast, all right? And I'm highlighting it because Sunday morning, I deal with the continual problem of trying to put uh, 10 pounds of potatoes, as they say, in a five-pound sack, all right? There's always too many potatoes for the sack. Uh, and the podcast, that is where I have a chance to talk about issues that are going on in our culture from a biblical perspective. How many of you think it's important for the church to address what's going on in culture? I can't do that every Sunday. That's not the purpose of every Sunday morning. Um, but when major issues are being debated or coming down uh, from Congress uh, or the Supreme Court that, that impact our liberties, how many of you know the church should be the, at the forefront of those discussions and debates? And how many of you believe the Bible has something to say about politics? Now, let me just correct any misunderstanding here this morning. I'm going to try to speak very precise, all right, to avoid confusion. People have said, well, that church, Living Stones, you guys are a political church. No, we're not. We are a kingdom church. And we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Which means, and this is so irritating to secularists, Jesus Christ is Lord of government. And, uh, and our job, it's not a fun job, but it's an important job. Our job as believers is to continually remind them of that because otherwise we get off into all kinds of tyranny and injustice. So our job as a church is to remind the government that Jesus is still Lord of government. He created government. He created government for his glory. Governments exist as his ministers and servants. And all of these things are foundational to understanding America. And so we need to go back. We need to connect the dots. We need to speak on these things. And I do that uh, virtually every week on the podcast. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, I got one more important announcement. We're going to receive the offering first. Father, thank you for the privilege on this day of our nation's birth to bless you. God, here we are, again, as Americans, every one of us in a place where we have enjoyed the blessings of liberty and the economic blessings of, of a free market and the opportunity to pursue our dreams, our God-given dreams. Uh, what a blessing. There's hardly anywhere in the world, uh, I would say nowhere in the world, exactly like us. And so, Father, what a privilege to give today and to sow today. And we ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. While you're doing that, an important gathering coming up this Wednesday, uh, we're hosting somebody named Trevor Loudon. You're, that that slide was not designed for you to read all the details, but I'm just going to summarize for you. Um, we are hosting this gentleman. He, he has written extensively on Marxism. And how many of you know many of the movements afoot in America today, when you get past the veneer and you look at the underlying philosophies, they're Marxist in root. I mean, you know, any, any attack to destroy the nuclear family is a, is a 
straight out of Marx's playbook, all right? Anything designed to weaken marriage, weaken the family, all of that comes out of Marxist, Marxism, um, amongst a whole bunch of other things. There's policy, policy initiatives, other things going on in our country right now. I just think it's important that we're aware of these things and that we are able to speak out on these things uh, and know what's happening. So I encourage you to come out right in here. I'm going to be doing a kind of an interview format with him that night. At 6.30, the doors will be open. He's got a number of books that he's authored. I encourage you to take a look at those. But at 7 o'clock, I'll begin to interview him about a lot of what's happening in America today and get his perspective on that. So you won't want to miss that. All right, let me um, jump right into our message today. I'm talking about our ongoing fight for liberty and religious liberty in America. And I wanted to begin... Um, by highlighting uh, a number of important quotes, just to just to lay a foundation, so that you realize that the pulpits of today are largely out of mainstream America, at least from our founding. What we're doing here today is normal. It's abnormally normal, and I will build a case for that. All right. Uh, the American Quarterly Register, 1883, had this to say about the revolution in America. As a body of men, the clergy were preeminent in their attachment to liberty. The pulpits of the land rang with the notes of freedom. Let me translate that for you. The pastors were leading the way, preaching about liberty and about freedom and about godly government. This was what preachers did before we got woke, all right? The... British periodical of 1856 said this, if Christian ministers had not preached or prayed, there might have been no revolution as yet. Or had it broken out, it might have been crushed. But for the fact that preachers were preaching and preachers were praying, and preachers preaching and praying caused a revolution. That's the foundation of why we are here today. Historian B.F. Morris wrote this. Whoa, listen to this. The ministers of the revolution were, like their Puritan predecessors, bold and fearless in the cause of their country. Did you hear how they describe preachers? Bold and fearless, not chicken-blessing, limp-wristed chickens. That's not how they describe them. Bold and fearless in the cause of their country. No class of men contributed more to carry forward the revolution and to achieve our independence than did the ministers. By their prayers, their patriotic sermons, and services, they rendered the highest assistance to the civil government, the army, and the country. This is the pulpit that we used to have in America, and I just want to tell you, if we don't get it back, we're in big trouble. The Reverend William Smith, 1775, said this, We know that our civil and religious rights are linked together in one indissoluble bond. We neither have nor seek to have any interest separate than that of our country, nor can we advise a desertion of its cause. Religion and liberty must flourish or fail together in America. And we pray that both may be perpetual. Religion and civil liberty, what we enjoy out there. So listen, I'm going to make it real simple. Who we worship in here and what we enjoy out there are linked together forever in America. When religious liberty goes down, all of your liberties are attacked. 
That's why I cannot say this message this morning is of critical importance, um, not because it's coming out of my mouth, but because it's true. And I just want to say this, we have a lot of young people in here, a lot of young people in here. This is a massive wake-up moment for your generation, because your generation is more secular, more radical to the left than we've ever seen, more, more ignorant of the, of the Bible and biblical worldview, and, and totally disengaged uh, from government as our founders knew it. You have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. But I'm challenging every young person in this room to take good notes. Some of you have a call of God on your life to engage and to be a voice for righteousness. And I'm praying God raises up many fiery revivalists, pastors, leaders in the marketplace, young people that are firebrands, taking our universities back, taking education back, and being engaged in our culture. Because if you sit back and hide at such a time as this, I'm telling you, our future is not the trends for where we're headed in America are not looking bright at all. But this is not a bad news message. This is a good news message, all right? I want to talk about America, the land of the free. How many of you are freedom-loving people like me? Come on, that's what it's all about. We... We have enjoyed the freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our conscience since the founding of this great nation 200 now and 45 years ago. Let me just say this. That 245-year mark is an absolute miracle in and of itself. When you do a historical study of nations and how many times they're under the same government before a revolution of some sort takes place, America stands alone. We have had 245 years not of, of unbridled precinct peace and prosperity. We've had issues. We still have issues that we're dealing with. We still have national sins that we need to address. But how many of you know where it's unheard of to be under the same constitution and blessing for 245 years now and counting? You need to not take that for granted. Etched on the stone of the Jefferson Memorial in our nation's capital are these words by Thomas Jefferson. God who gave us life gave us liberty. And can these liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are a gift of God? Indeed, I, can't, I, I tremble, he says, for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Now, here is the radical idea that was introduced by our founding fathers. It's right here in a nutshell. Rights are created not by the state, not by politicians. They're not things that we do to hand out tokens of blessing to people. It's not given to secure different voting and special interest groups. We don't create rights for those purposes. In fact, governments don't create rights. God gives rights. They come from our creator and they are gifts. Now, can I just share something with you? We're always called extremists, right-wing, whatever, blah, 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 by secularists. Can I tell you, the most out-of-step people in America today, as it relates to our founding, are secularists who don't acknowledge God as creator. One of the most foundational understandings of American government is that rights come from God. You say, well, which God? Well, it didn't take much of an, of an understanding here to flesh this one out. From the God of the Bible. The God who created us, the God who made us in his image and likeness. Gifts come from God, which means if God hasn't talked about them in the Bible, or if certain rights are being pushed today that are counter to the word of God, guess what? They're not rights. They're human rights that are coming from human beings who don't honor God and don't honor the law of God. 
You need to understand that the liberties that you have, and thank God for this, they are secured in God, not in the hands of politicians who, in case you haven't checked lately, change their political views almost every time they run for office. It's one of these things. How many of you know politicians that were solid on marriage are no longer solid on marriage? Politicians that were solid on life are no longer solid on life. Politicians who used to understand that there were two genders are now very confused and they embrace all kinds of genders. It's because a politician is not the source of your liberty. God is. And the moment you, you forget that, you get into big trouble. God gives rights, and I want you to hear this, the role of government is to protect and secure those rights. Government in this regard is a servant of both God and the people. Can I remind you all, because we seem to have forgotten this, that you are not sheep blindly being led wherever some expert tells you to go. You are citizens of America. You have rights that come from God. The government's job is to defend and to protect and to secure those rights. They work for you. You don't work for them. And I have, a, I have another thing I got to up the ante. They work for God. They've conveniently forgotten that. We've even had liberal politicians tell us God has no business in these chambers. God, God or anything of scripture has no business in these sacred halls of government. You work for God. Have you forgotten that? It's because we've forgotten our foundational documents. It's because we've turned our backs on the faith of our fathers. They submit to in Congress. They go, oh, Pastor, I know what I said is radical, and it's true. You go back to our founding documents, and you see these things laid out. I'm quoting to you one of the most liberal of our founders. That's Jefferson. Oh, there was folks far more conservative and evangelical than Jefferson. He tends to be the most liberal, and he got it right. How about all the other ones? We don't have time to get into them. In fact, religious liberty is an unalienable right that precedes the state itself. How I many you know the state did not come into existence until the fall? And God created the state to punish evil and to promote righteousness. But you existed made in the image of likeness of God before the fall. And you existed with liberty. Liberty, liberty to be the kind of people that God created you to be, liberty under God, liberty to live a life of maximum blessing. In fact, how many of you know life and liberty go together? God's the expert on both. In other words, when we live our lives under the lordship of Jesus, we experience maximum life. Can I get an amen on that? So God has not only liberate, created us in liberty, but then he liberated us from bondage back into liberty through Jesus Christ. How many of you know that's what the church is all about? We liberate. We bring blessing. We bring prosperity. That's what the church does. And that's what government is supposed to support. Your liberties existed before governments were created. Governments exist to protect and to secure the liberties that God gave you. Let's go ahead and look at the Declaration of Independence. Another radical idea never before put into a governmental constitution. We find it here in the, uh, in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Now, I've joked around before, self-evident is a founder's term for any idiot could understand it, all right? 
We hold these truths to be self-evident. I've had people say, you know, they, they mock you when you speak out governmentally. Oh, now you've become a constitutional expert. How many of you know our founders wanted you to be a constitutional expert because it's a government by the people, for the people. You are the government, all right? You are the government. So yes, you should understand how you're to operate. And there shouldn't be any kind of mysteries to where you have to go out and get a law degree to figure out what the declaration and what the constitution says. We hold these truths to be self-evident so every single American could get it, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, let me just say something. We've had to deal with slavery in America. We've had to deal with women's rights and, and, and su- women's suffrage and all these things. How many of you know we were conceived in liberty, but, the, but we certainly didn't express it perfectly? And we've taken years to get it right, and we're still working on getting it right. But here's what I want you to see. This notion that America was conceived as a bunch of oppressors and that, and that we've poisoned the minds of our young people to think that somehow America is a wicked nation and not a good nation, I just want to pop everybody's bubble. This phrase, all men are created equal, was not put in practice or understood or embraced by any government anywhere on planet Earth when our founders established this principle. I mean, you know, we established a truth in seed form that we still had to figure out how to live it out, but the foundations of liberty for everybody, red, yellow, black, and white, was in our Constitution from the beginning and nowhere else on planet Earth. America is a leader in liberty. America should be celebrated for what we've done. America still promotes liberty in the nations of the world, and we should be cheering about this, not hiding our heads in shame. You know, I look around here this morning. I was at a picnic the other night. I was sitting at a table the other day with leaders at our church, and I said, this is the most ethnically unified and diverse meeting in all of Crown Point. And everybody laughed and smiled. And you know what? We didn't want to look at each other through the lens of race. We don't continue to perpetuate racism by looking at each other through the lens of race. We look through the lens of the kingdom. We look through the lens of the fact Jesus redeemed us all. And I'll tell you, if you're here at Living Stones, we want every race represented here loving Jesus. We want to lift people up, promote people, encourage people. That's what we're about here. That's what the foundation of our founding documents established. So yes, there's been imperfections. But you know what? We're moving towards truth and we're moving towards healing. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And listen, to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Here's the principles that we find here, and these are radical. God is the source of our liberty. Can you say amen? Our duty to God precedes any duty that we have to the state. Amen. Government exists to secure God-given unalienable rights. Amen. And this leads me to the next point. The right to religious liberty must be protected by the government. Now listen to what James Madison said. He said, the duty which we owe our creator, the manner of our discharging it, can be governed only by reason and conviction, not by compulsion or violence. In other words, you can't force people in America to violate their conscience. You can't force people to believe something that they don't believe. And therefore, all men are equally entitled 
to full and free exercise of it according to the dictates of conscience. Listen to this last part. Unpunished and unrestrained by the magistrate. In other words, he said, government has no place to punish or restrain the full expression of the freedom of your conscience to worship God. This is huge. And it's especially huge because of the season in which we find ourselves in America, because we hear a lot about religious liberty and the rights of conscience. But let me, let me go back even farther. How many of you know the word conscience it becomes an empty, meaningless word if you remove it from its scriptural moorings? So look with me at uh, Romans chapter 2. Famous passage of scripture where Paul's talking about the moral law and about conscience. And, and uh, Romans 2 verse 14, it says this, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law, in other words, these are unbelievers, they, they don't know the law of God, they don't have a copy, as we would say today, of the scriptures, they show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. Now, how many of you have figured out that when you do something wrong, you, you mistreat somebody, you have a prick of conscience, if you have a healthy conscience. You don't even have to be a Christian to operate in the world to realize there are certain things that are inherently wrong and certain things that are inherently right. Does that make sense? Where did that come from? Let me help you out. It did not come from the fact that you're an animal and you're a product of evolution. Last time I checked, when my dog robs the food off of my plate, he doesn't come up later and bow before me and say, please, please forgive me, master, for eating your wonderful sandwich. No, he's in, in dog heaven. He thinks he's, this is the best day of his life. You know, I got a rude introduction one time to animal ethics. I was at the Tipton County Fair. At the Tipton County Fair, they're known for their pork, and they have a pork festival in Tipton, all right, where they celebrate pigs and what pigs have to offer, all right? Um, and so I, I went up to this pig barn, and you know, they put a couple pigs in a, pig, in a pig pen. And this big old pig was laying there. I'm probably not using the proper, I don't know if it was a sour or whatever, but it was a big old, one of the biggest pigs I've ever seen up close in my life. I get my pig's exposure at Strax, you know, it's a little thing of bacon, that's about all I get. So, and, and this pig is laying down there, and his pig pen partner had come up, unbeknownst to him, and defecated on the side of this pig's head. Now, I'm a city boy for the most part, and I walked up there, and this pig is just sleeping like he's having the best day of his life, and he has a mound of pig poo on the side of his head. Now, let me give you some good news. You're not a pig. Hallelujah. Come on, son. I don't know if I made everybody happy or unhappy, but this is good news. You're somebody made in the image and likeness of God. You have the law of God written on your heart. You're not an animal. You're somebody created in the image of God. God has written his law on our hearts. How many of you know the, the, the golden rule is recognized globally as something that is a good thing? Why? Because we all know it makes sense. Why should I treat you in a way that I myself would not want to be treated? So where did that come from, though? That came from God. God writes these things on our heart. Our conscience bears witness and says, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I was wrong. Oh, I need to go repent. Anybody got a conscience in this room? Good. I'm just making sure. That's what your conscience is. It is a God-given moral compass, which helps us determine right from wrong. 
Conscience thus provides the basis for making right decisions. I'm going to skip through some of this for the sake of time because I got more potatoes than the sack will hold this morning. The conscience is that part of every person which willingly or unwillingly responds to the universal law of God, moral law of God. Take a look in the Bible. Remember when Jesus confronts the Pharisees with the woman caught in adultery? Remember that scene? And Jesus says to them, hey, all right, here we go. Uh, Whoever of you is without sin, you guys start the process. You guys throw the first stone. And you remember what happened? Their conscience kicked in. The moral law of God written on their heart kicked in. This is what the Bible says happens in John 8 verse 9. Those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in uh, the, in the midst. Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in his midst. It says they were convicted by their conscience. In other words, God's law written on their hearts pricked their conscience, and their conscience told them, hey, you're wrong. Drop the stones. Let's get out of here. You're wrong. Take a look at Paul's life and ministry. It says in Acts 24, verse 16, Paul says, I always strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I mean, you know, this is an amazing principle to live by. If you go to bed at night and your conscience says, husband, you should not have yelled at your wife. Go make it right. I mean, you know, that's something good to listen to. That voice is a good voice to listen to. Your conscience. I've told you all before. You never have to wonder whether I, I like you, I'm for you. I, I, you know, we're good because if my conscience ever has something going off, we'll have a meeting and talk before that ever happens. Because you know what? I, I want to preach with a clean conscience before God. So I can tell you, every time I get up here, my conscience towards you is one of blessing. I'm for you, not against you. And I'll tell you this, I never get up in this pulpit if my conscience towards my wife or towards any of my children is not clean and pure. You know, that keeps you healthy. That keeps you from getting a seared conscience. So Paul recognized, hey, that conscience is from God. We have to guard it. We have to protect it. All right, take a look at this. Our founding fathers understood that the conscience was off limits to government. This is very important. Since our conscience was placed within each of us by God, it's out of the reach or the authority of human governments. Take a listen to our founders. Governor uh, William Livingston, a devout Christian and signer of the U.S. Constitution, said this, Consciences of men are not the objects of human legislation. Powerful statement. Listen to this, John Jay. John Jay was the author of the Federalist Papers, which were a commenta- commentary on the Constitution. He is one of the original, uh, the original Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And listen, President of the American Bible Society. When is the last, just to show you how far we've drifted, when is the last time a Supreme Court Justice was also a member of the American Bible Society, passing out Bibles everywhere, all over the nations of the world? But that was John Jay. Listen to what John Jay said. Security under our Constitution is given to the rights of conscience. Thomas Jefferson, you all know him, signer of the Declaration, U.S. President, he said this, no provision in our Constitution ought to be dearer to man than that which protects the rights of conscience. Our rulers can have no authority over such natural rights, only as we have submitted them. And he says the rights of conscience were never submitted. James Madison, again, a signer of the Constitution, framer of our Bill of Rights, and our U.S. president said this, government is instituted to protect property of every sort, and conscience 
is the most sacred of all property. Now, governments are instituted to protect property. That's an important reminder for us today. That's a legitimate function of government is to protect your property so you don't have to defend your property. Government protects your property and your property rights. But I want you to understand one of the main areas of property is our conscience before God. Christians believe that God alone is Lord of the conscience and that every American should be free to live and work according to their faith without fear of punishment by the government. Now, I'm saying all this because have any of you noticed in the news that there are people that are fearing for living out their conscience, especially in the public arena? Now, let me share a great quote here from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. And let me just add that civil rights movement was firmly rooted in the same truth I'm preaching this morning. It was rooted in a biblical moral high ground understanding that all men are created equal. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. helped point out America is still not living up to that ideal. But as he pointed that out and stood on the moral high ground and people rallied, we started seeing change and we're still seeing those changes. But listen to what he had to say. This is important. Just laws elevate and ennoble human beings because they're rooted in the moral law whose ultimate source is God himself. King said this, if a law is just, you'll be able to trace that law back to the character of God or to the word of God. And good laws elevate people and ennoble people. Bad laws uh, hurt people. He went on to say this, unjust laws degrade human beings inasmuch as they claim no authority beyond sheer human will and they lack any power to bind the conscience. In other words, the reason why governments, first of all, what I'm sharing this morning, most of our leaders have rejected. We have what's called a natural uh, man-centered view of law. Governments make up laws. Governments give you laws, create laws, et cetera, et cetera. But this is the problem that King saw. If our liberties are not rooted in God, how many of you know politicians have this nasty tendency to use law to punish people that don't agree with them? Or to promote things, like right now, we are seeing moral wrongs pre, uh, promoted as civil rights. I want to say this again. You can never get a civil right from a moral wrong. So when moral wrongs are being pushed upon us, we recognize those are not legitimate laws. Those are unjust laws. In other words, those are laws that come from a human being and not from the heart of God. What do you do with unjust, immoral laws? You don't obey them. You don't obey them. People quote Romans 13 all the time as a justification for rolling over and doing whatever the government says. Read Romans 13. The purpose of government is to punish evil and promote righteousness. Who gets to define evil and righteousness? Obviously, the Creator does. And when a human being starts calling something a right and demanding that it's codified in our constitution or in the law of the land, and it is a right that does not come from God's heart or God's law or what God says, how many of you know that is a wicked law that will lead to tyranny and injustice? It's also a trampling of our religious liberties because it forces people to violate their consciences to obey that law. And I'm telling you, church, if we don't wake up and stand and get a backbone and understand, listen, we have the moral high ground because it goes back to our founding documents. 
We have the moral high ground. We have the high ground because our authority comes from God himself. What God's looking for is for the church to push back when our consciences are attacked. Now listen to me. How many of you remember good old Hobby Lobby a few years back was looking at shutting their doors down, being fined a gazillion dollars a day because they would not embrace a health coverage that promoted abortion on demand. How many of you know a business that is dedicated to the glory of God means that the owner of that business has the right to run their business according to the dictates of their conscience and government has no right intruding upon that holy ground. Government has to protect that. This is why I want to encourage you and us launching Market Share, which is our marketplace ministry. I've said this for years. In fact, let me just, I just have to say something here, all right? I've been preaching these messages for nearly two decades. People thought I was crazy two decades ago. Well, guess what? I keep all those sermons, and I went back and I reviewed them. And you know what? Everything we said was coming is here. And I'm telling you this. If it's not already here, it's coming if we don't experience an awakening. I mean, you know, this, this COVID thing was round one, and we had a massive encroachment on liberties. In fact, we had government officials, we, we had unelected healthcare people and experts in communities shutting down churches. Where is that in, in any constitution or declaration? Where, where is that kind of infringement upon your conscience, your right of conscience? Or how about this? We got people being told, bake the cake, do this, do that, or we're going to find you and close you, and you're going to be a bigot, and you're going to be a racist, or you're going to be whatever. That, those words are used so much now that they're meaningless. I'm telling you this. If your business is a kingdom business, meaning God runs your business, how many of you would, would agree with Jesus should be Lord of your business if you own a business? I'm, I'm just asking. If, if Jesus is Lord of your business, then your job as the leader is to honor him in everything that you do, which means you have the religious liberty to be a believer act like a believer, live like a believer, not just at church, not just in your house, but in the public arena, which is under assault right now. In other words, freedom of worship is not what you do here. Freedom of worship is the ability to take Jesus and the Word of God and the principles of God with you everywhere you go 24-7. And can I just tell you, honestly, if you do that now, you can lose your job, you'll be canceled, you will lose any kind of career path, or you'll be excluded up front if you believe something different than the current sexual orthodoxy which is being promoted today by our government. I'm just telling you, our government is out of control and out of order seriously today. And I believe what we just saw is round one. I believe round two is coming. And I believe we better be ready and we got to be equipped. And you got, listen, you got to be settled in your conscience. Because if you're not settled in your conscience, you will not make a stand. Can I just say, we, our church has influenced pastors all across America who have listened to our podcast and who, and who when, when the heat came, they're going, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We've never been here before. Let me tell you what you do. You go back to your biblically inspired conscience. And you drive a stake in the ground, and you're willing to die there. 
There are certain things that you have to be willing, hills you have to be willing to die on. Can I just tell you, we have been pushed through all the gray, soft matter, all the, well, we're out of that. We're being pushed into a corner now where your religious liberties are this far from being absolutely gutted in this country. And if I have time, I will highlight some of that in just a moment. During this pandemic, we had, again, officials telling you you couldn't open up your business, you had to close. We had officials closing churches while, while uh, abortion clinics were wide open, pot dispensaries wide open, big businesses wide open. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. I believe that those who are rabid secularists and who hate God and who hate the church, because let me tell you why they hate God and the church, because we stand between them and a radical uh, remaking of American society. This is the last bastion of freedom. You are the last bastion of freedom. Godly people are the last bastion of freedom, and they know it. I honestly believe it was an attempt to silence the church, to cripple the church, to cripple the church financially, to cripple the church spiritually and emotionally, to muzzle the message of the church. And I believe, sadly, on round one, much of the church failed. We got to get our act together. And I, I, can't, I can't say this with more passion than right now. To my kids and my grandkids, you do not know what hell is coming if you don't wake up. I'm not, this is not hyperbole. You do not know what hell is coming to our nation if we don't get this right and push back and stand up. Just look at the tyranny and justice in the nations of the world. Just look at what's happening in communist China as I speak what's happening to Christian people. And if you think this cannot happen here, when pastors are getting arrested for having their churches open, but we're not arresting anybody for burning cities down, we got a problem with our government. We are having the, the, the point of the spear, and I'll be quick. The point of the spear is a radical sexual ethic that flies right in the face of God, of holiness, of everything that's good and pure. And we witnessed it all last month. It gets worse every year. Who would have thought we'd be celebrating with children's programs, perversion? We'd be celebrating with boxes of cereal, every major corporation. And I just want to tell you this, and ladies, you need to listen. Can, can all of our ladies here, and all of our young ladies, this kind of, quote, sexual revolution is destroying everything about femininity and beauty in our country. We would never think to have a Pride Month to celebrate pornography. You know why? Because our consciences tell us that women should not be treated like objects and like animals. And that men are better. Men are not pigs. We're made to protect and love and honor women and treat them like queens. We don't celebrate 
Marital Infidelity Month. Because we understand the importance of covenant before God. And we understand that the problems that we're dealing with in our nation today are cultural problems, meaning when we leave the kingdom and we move into a natural culture, we don't value marriage and we watch marriages blow up and we watch kids suffer and we watch poverty hit women. And women are the ones that lose again when men are unfaithful. We also don't celebrate fornication month, young people. And I say this to our daughters of the house. You're worth more than that. You're worth more than that. And if a man won't commit to loving you and caring for you and providing for you and protecting you, he should not be touching you, period. It's as simple as that. You're worth more than that. But let me make something else clear. If we're going to lose marriage, and I, you know, I stood at the state house not too long ago, and we, we said we are opening a Pandora's box of perversion in this country. Oh, no, love is love, love is love. We heard all that kind of nonsense. And who would have thought that our young people now are talking about all kinds of gender confusion, gender options, and all kinds of sexual options, things that in the past all fell under the banner called perversion. We got polyamorous, we got bisexual, we got every kind of thing that you would have been, you wouldn't have wanted that label on you at all years ago because it would have been a sign of great moral depravity and now we wear these things as badges. And let me just tell you, if you speak out against it, you will get slapped by the prevailing orthodox. I'm just telling you this, but this is a hill to die on. Some of you need to lose your job over, over saying, you know what, I, I saw a courageous teacher coach who stood up and said, I'm not going to take part of the gender insanity. Uh, I do not leave Jesus at home when I come to the public school. That means Jesus boldly is Lord of my life. I don't leave him at home. I do not compartmentalize my life. I bring Jesus with me to school. And it's the government's job to defend that man's freedom of conscience according to what I'm teaching you. And thankfully, thankfully he was reinstated, but now they're going after him again. Because you love marriage and you honor marriage and you don't believe marriage should be between anybody else than a man or woman who are committing to life, you should not be forced to celebrate marriages or bake cakes or do anything else that violates your conscience. And yet we have Americans who are being sued and literally driven out of business and broke, ruined, because they simply will not, listen, not just have tolerance, but celebrate. Yeah. Woohoo! They will not celebrate the perversion that our mainstream media is saying is now the orthodoxy, all right? This is the last place they're coming, but they are coming. They'll not, they'll not take the church on yet, head, you know, head on, but, but they are going. They are doing it. Many churches, have not, they're not going to survive the first COVID wave, and it's not because of COVID. It's because of they didn't meet, because they're irrelevant. But it's coming back. Trust me, there's variants I'm finding out. There's variants. Who knows what this next new flu season is going to hold for us? Which is why we need to put our foot down. On Wednesday night, and I'll close with this. I got a lot more. Let me just say, 
The Equality Act is from the pit of hell. It, it is not equality. It is tyranny, and it is a frontal assault on your liberties. And if it's passed, what I'm doing here now it will get me arrested. So I just want you to know, if you want your pastor to start a prison ministry, stay silent. <laughs> because I'm not going to be silent. In fact, this is a never again document that I hope to draft that we're going to be sharing on Wednesday night when Trevor Loudon is here. And I just want to read it to you. I'm not asking you to subscribe to everything because some of what we're saying is pretty strong. But I believe it's true. We insist that Indiana's laws concerning the authority of the governor to declare an emergency and to impose tyrannical requirements and limitations be severely restricted and curtailed. That already happened, thankfully, by our, by our, our, our House and Senate. Emergencies should be rare. Can anybody get an amen on that? Very limited in scope and duration. And never again will we submit to executive orders and legislation by fiat, which means somebody just makes up the rules and everybody else is supposed to go along. I mean, you know, we have a representative form of government. You're the government. You're the government. And you should have a voice. Government does not have the authority to shut down private businesses, causing economic ruin and hardship on individuals and families. Never again will we allow our government to determine which businesses are essential and which are not essential. That is not within the scope of government as defined by our constitutions. Can I get an amen on that? So if you sit back and you let somebody in Indianapolis or in Washington tell you that you're not essential, you better grow a spine or you're going to go out of business. That's all I'm saying. As a free people, we embrace and value the principle of self-government. We trust our citizens to do what's best for themselves and their families. Pastor, what's the mask policy here? Do what you want. You're an American citizen. You have rights and freedoms. And we're not here as pastors to babysit you. We're here to equip you. Never again will we submit to governmental edicts and directives that bypass the will of the people. And never again, oh, this is my favorite, never again will the opinions of experts be allowed to overrule the freedom of individual citizens. Nowhere in any of those documents do I even find the word expert. It's amazing. But I do find a lot about you and your rights as citizens. We're free to make our own health care choices. Never again will we allow our government or local health departments to mandate receiving a vaccine or the wearing of masks. Mandates of any sort are not becoming to a constitutional republic. And lastly, let's get to the church. We are free to worship the Lord as we please. Historically, in times of crisis, the church has been a gathering place for prayer and worship and support. Never again will we allow the government to intrude into the business of the church. The authority of the church is separate from the state. The church is under the authority of Jesus Christ. And government restrictions on worship are an abuse of God-delegated authority and will be resisted. Now, this is my conscience being put to paper. I don't know what your conscience is, but I think one of the signs of good leadership is called clarity. Well, where does our pastor stand? Got it in writing, all right? We got it in writing. So you guys all stand. Worship team, come on up.
Thank you, Lord. Let me just say this, and then we're going to sing. We are living in such fragile times with all the stuff going on. You know, our vision is for this church to look like heaven. And you know what? When I think of Crown Point, Indiana, I think we're, we got a pretty good jump start on making it look like heaven because you know in heaven there's going to be people from all different races and backgrounds and ethnicities, and, which means we, we, love, we love the flavor of this house. But you know how hard it is in a culture that's saying everything to the opposite to try to preach love, reconciliation, unity, racial healing and wholeness. I'm telling you, we, like I said, we were at a picnic the other night of our church family, about 200 people. I looked around, it was a thing of beauty. doesn't mean because black and white and Chinese and Asian and Hispanic and whatever other background you are, that we're eating together in the same place doesn't mean everything's perfect. But can I just tell you, we got the best thing going, the body of Christ. And I just want to continue to lead the way in loving all people and bringing the gospel and the kingdom, bringing us together. So can you guys help me with that? Which means let's go out of our way to meet people, to love people, to get together with people, to have people over at your house, people from a different place, people from a different neighborhood, people from a different background. You know, when I go to the nations of the world, I get beyond the white and black distinctions. And I get to see all the colors of the world. And you know what? It's a beautiful thing to watch God's people scattered across the globe. So help us. And please hear this. When you speak out on truth, the devil will absolutely twist your heart, your motives, or whatever. That's why I'm sharing my heart with you right now. Because you guys are the PR department at Living Stones. So when Sam goes to work, oh, I heard about you stoners over there. I know about you stoners. He says, I don't know. That's not, what my pa- that's not what my pastor stands for. When David Walton goes to work, David Santana goes to work, people try to pull a race card on Livingstone. No, 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 no. You need to come experience the culture here. It's kingdom culture. It's Jesus' is Lord culture. And I want us to do this as we get ready to leave here this morning. This song that we're going to sing was written for the purpose of singing a prayer, a blessing over our country. And this is not asking God to bless us because we deserve it. This is asking God to bless us with things like repentance and healing and reconciliation and truth and purity. Y'all with me? The blessing of God doesn't mean prosperity only. It means prosper body, soul, spirit, all right? So how many think we could pray for God to bless the United States of America, meaning God would pour out his grace for revival and healing and reformation. So let's sing this song a couple times through and sing it as a prayer to the Lord and then we'll be cut loose to celebrate today.